You're listening to Enclave Community Church. For more information about Enclave, please visit us online at enclavecc.com. Okay, so this morning the scripture is Acts 3, verses 11 through 16. So it picks up in the temple, and a lame man has just been healed. Verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you for this morning and the church family that's here today. Um, We thank you for just stories like this one of your healing power. Um, We just pray this morning for all the people here that are just struggling physically or mentally and just waiting for that day of healing, Lord. We thank you for these stories that can give us hope, but we also know in the midst of the battle, it is hard to remain hopeful. We just ask for just strength and endurance um, for all of us that are struggling and those that are around them to continue to strengthen them and encourage them. Um, We just ask that you would speak to us today and you would open our hearts to receive your message. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Shannon. Good morning. It's good to see you guys. Um, It's hard to believe, but um, it's been seven months since we have returned back home from South Africa with our new daughter, Josie. Uh, And it's been quite a a time of adjustment. I mean, for everybody, uh, but also for her, just think about coming from a children's home into a new family. Just the whole concept of having parents would be just this big deal, right? She has a new school, new culture, new, uh, I mean, they spoke English over there, but it's done a little bit differently, and lots of other languages are present there too. So lots and lots of adjustment. And one of the things that we have noticed, and, and, and this would be expected, right, is that Josie, my daughter, doesn't always have the right point of reference by which to understand what's going on around her. And so part of our job as parents is to sort of give her that frame of reference to be able to navigate her new world. Um, Just a couple of weeks ago, the week prior to Easter, right, she learned about Easter egg hunts, and and probably that was at school where she learned that. And so she came home and she said, hey, are we going to have an Easter egg hunt on Easter? And actually, we had been invited to an Easter egg hunt, and so we were able to say, 
well, yeah, we, we are going to have an Easter egg on, on Easter. So she was pretty excited about that. But what that translated to on Easter day is she woke up really excited about uh, going to this Easter egg hunt. And then she starts to notice us getting ready to come to Enclave. She's kind of confused about that. And then at, at one point she goes, guys, what, what are you doing? Like, we're going to, we can't go to church today. It's Easter. <laughs> like, Easter is for Easter egg hunts, right? And, and we had to tell her, like, we had realized, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, we've, we've told you about the resurrection of Jesus, but we really didn't talk about it with the word Easter in it, right? And, you know, things that are just like plain as day for us are not so plain to her. So we had to, to let her know, like, there's lots of ways in which people celebrate Easter. There's people who have Easter egg hunts. But what we're really celebrating is that Jesus rose again from the dead. He did. Yeah, he did. We've talked about this before, you know. And so we're going to go with our church family to celebrate that. And then later, we'll go to the Easter egg hunt. You're not going to miss the Easter egg hunt. That was what she was worried about. Now, in, in a lot of ways, what Peter is doing in this passage is he's providing a point of reference for this crowd, right, to be able to understand the healing that they've just experienced. So we, we have been out of the book of Acts for a couple of weeks, but the last time we were there, we met this lame beggar, if you remember. And he was lame from birth, and now he's over what? Does anybody remember? He's over 40 years of age right now. We learned that from Acts 4.22. So he hasn't walked this whole time, and he has these friends that brought him daily to the temple, right? So to, to beg at this gate that kind of led into the temple there. And then one day, after years and years, people passing him by, it's likely that Jesus passed by this man. I mean, he's been there for a long, long time, right? And one day, it's the day. It's the day that he's going to be healed. Right? And in the power of Jesus' name, he is healed under the ministry of Peter and John. So he is leaping and walking and he's praising God. And he actually joins Peter and John into the temple area. And that brings us to our passage this morning. Now Peter addresses this crowd. Right, They are in this sort of like covered walkway. Right there on the eastern side of the temple with these big columns, it's called Solomon's Portico, and it was this place of commerce, and the conversations would happen there. And so th this crowd begins to gather around Peter and John and this once lame man. Now, just like Josie was with the Easter egg hunts, you know, th this crowd is very excited, and, and wouldn't you be, right? They've, they've passed by this man, year maybe hundreds of times they've passed by this man. I mean, this is not like a, a setup by a faith healer. Like you can't, they didn't set this up for 40 years, okay? Like it, they're like, oh, he didn't walk and now he's walking around, right? And so they're excited. But so then Peter has to give them a point of reference by which to understand this healing because healings are great, right? Easter egg hunts are great, but you're, you're going to miss the point, right? If you don't understand it within the, the larger framework of the resurrection, and so, so that's what Peter is going to do as he addresses this crowd. Now, this is the, the second time that Peter has to address a crowd um, after a miracle happens. The first time was when? Pentecost, right? And so you see this sort of pattern emerge within the book of Acts. There's this wonder, and then there's this word. 
that needs to be, you know, the power of God is demonstrated, but then that needs to be put within a framework by which to understand it. And so this is the second time that Peter addresses a crowd for this purpose. Now, in this address, there's sort of like three parts to it. There's the explanation where he kind of he helps them to understand the healing in light of the resurrection. That, that's verses 11 through 16, and that's where we're going to focus our attention this morning. But then, and, and hopefully we'll get to this next week, he's going to call them to turn to Jesus for forgiveness and restoration. That's verses 17 through 21. And then what we see Peter do, he alludes to Old Testament passages before this, but then he's going he's to quote from Old Testament passages. He pulls in Old Testament passages to be able to support sort of the case that he's making in verses 22 through 26. But as I said, today we're going to focus on this explanation. Now what's interesting about this explanation is that it includes an indictment. Right, he, he's actually bringing these charges against them, if you, can, if you can believe that. So there's this indictment that he uh, begins with, and then there's this sort of um, implicit invitation that's going to bloom into a very explicit call to repentance uh, next time we're together. But, but it starts off with this, this implicit sort of invitation. But first there's the indictment. So let me read some of the words that Shannon read um, earlier again. So this is in the latter part of verse 12. Peter is addressing the crowd, and he says this. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Referring to the miracle. Why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Why, Peter's saying, why is this healing so surprising to you? Right? And why are you looking at us like we're magicians? Right? And, and the implication is, it wouldn't be so surprising to you if you had been paying attention to what God has been doing through Jesus. And, and maybe paying attention is not the right, right way to phrase that. They, they've been noticing things, but they haven't been understanding things. Right? And, and so Peter then lays these charges out in front of them, beginning in verse 13 now. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. So Peter and John are witnesses both to their, res, uh, their rejection of Jesus and also to the resurrection. And now Peter sort of, he, he takes the witness stand and he's testifying against them. And the charges that they have are that they should have recognized, this, this, this healing shouldn't have been surprising to them, but it is because they have misidentified Jesus and as a consequence of that, they have rejected him foolishly rejected him. But they should have been able to identify him. Now, <clears throat> Peter does, um, he sort of assigns Jesus these three different titles in this part of, of his message to them. These are the ways in which they should have recognized him, but they didn't. For one, they didn't recognize him as God's glorified servant. So, and that's in verse 13. So when Peter references Jesus as God's glorified servant, 
It's supposed to kind of signal something in your mind, right? It's sort of like this hyperlink that brings you back into the Old Testament, back to Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, through Isaiah 53, verse 12. Isaiah's fourth um, servant song, if you remember. And in that uh, a song that Isaiah gives 700 years prior to this event, he tells us that there's a figure that's to come that we know as the suffering servant. And there's a couple of things you need to know about this suffering servant that is to come. He will be despised and rejected by men. That's Isaiah 53.3. He will be uh, uh, pierced for our transgressions. That's Isaiah 53.6. This is 700 years before Jesus came. He will be pierced for our transgressions and he will be exalted. He will be glorified, Isaiah 52, 13. So what Peter is saying is Jesus is this suffering servant. And that chapter, Isaiah 53, is about him, his death, and his resurrection. But you've missed it. Like you, you didn't recognize Jesus as God's servant. And so now you don't recognize how God has glorified his servant by having him ascend to the right hand of God the Father, and now he's exercising his authority through this healing. You, did, you missed it, right? They also didn't recognize uh, Jesus for the second title that he gives him, which is the Holy and Righteous One, the one who is set apart to bring justice. So when we talk about justice, sometimes that word is, can be confusing, but it just basically means when people treat each other rightly. So injustice is when you don't treat each other rightly. Justice is when you treat each other rightly. So there's, there's a Messiah to come. He's set apart to bring justice to the world. He's going to bring the cosmos, including fallen humanity, back into right relationship with God, and that will translate into right relationship with other people. Now, these two descriptors, the Holy One, the Righteous One, in the Old Testament, they name, for the most part, they apply to who? God himself, to Yahweh, right? But there's a couple of occasions in the Old Testament that they, that they are ascribed to the coming Messiah. So, for example, in Psalm 1610, we learn that the Holy One will not see decay. And then Peter, if you remember, in his first address in Pentecost... He makes much of this in Acts 2.27, and he, and he relates that to the resurrection. Right? He says, yeah, that's the holy. Jesus is the holy one who will not see decay in the grave, but he will be raised from the dead. In Isaiah 53.11, it talks about the servant as the righteous one who will, now catch this, make many to be accounted as righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Right? In other words, so the suffering servant's going to come, and he's going to, our unrighteousness, our sin is going to be put on him, and then he's going to ascribe to us righteousness. Like he's going to impute on us righteousness. Now, um, there's some people who say, you know, the Apostle Paul invented Christianity, and he, he invented imputed righteousness, this whole idea of imputed righteousness. Okay, but... This is 700 years before the Apostle Paul, though, right? At least this, in seed form, this idea is already here. There, so in the Old Testament, and Peter is, is giving Jesus this title. He's saying, Jesus is the one who is set apart, who's going to come and bring 
justice. He's going he's to make people right with God and, and act rightly towards one another. But they, they failed to recognize that. They also failed to recognize Jesus as the author of life in verse 15. Now, this, this word author is a very interesting one. It can be translated leader as it is in Acts chapter 5, verse 31. It can be translated pioneer, like the first person, like into an area. It can be translated originator or founder. Like I think, uh, what's his first name? But Mitchell was the person who founded Turlock, right? So, and it's like kind of like the soup of ideas are, are kind of involved in this word, but they, they all apply to Jesus, if you think about it, right? Not only were all of us in this room created through Jesus, John 1 tells us that, but Jesus is leading, right, everyone who will unite themselves to him by faith, he's leading them to life through his death and his resurrection. So Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, takes upon himself humanity, right? And he joins humans, and then he dies in their place, and then he rises. And as he rises, just uh, so to speak, like those who, who by faith are clinging onto his robe, right? He's leading them back to life, right? He's sort of like cutting back that this is a machete. So he's, 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 he's cutting back the jungles of sin, leading us back to the promised land, leading us back to life. And so Peter is saying, look, this, I mean, a healing. Well, this is what you would expect, right? This is not surprising. Like if, if Jesus is all these things, we're not going to be surprised if he's healing a, a single person. You know, when Jesus was around, he was healing hordes of people. Like, uh, I mean, if you really look at the Gospels through this lens, it's like in the morning, if you remember when he healed uh, Peter's, is it mother-in-law, right, in Capernaum, what happens at the end of the day? It's the whole town shows up, right? And, and, it, and the text says he healed them all. He healed all of them. Right, so this one healing, given the fact of who Jesus is, man, this is not surprising. But only if you recognize who Jesus is would it not be surprising. And they failed to recognize who he was, and therefore they rejected him. So, so listen to the indictment again. Uh, be, again, beginning in verse 12, the latter part. Peter addressing the crowd says, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Who's he talking about? Barabbas. Who, he, Barabbas actually murdered people in an effort to try to overturn the Roman government. Mark 15, 7. A murderer, you asked for a murderer, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. So, so Paul is kind of bending over backwards for you to be able to see just how insane this choice is. Right? The pagan Gentile ruler asks you, 
Do you, do you want a murderer? Or do you want the author of life? And what did you guys say? Give us the murderer. Like release the murderer into our midst. Away with the, the one who came to give us life. It's insane. Right? Like th but that's, sin is insane. If you think about it. Right? And, and, and we know what this is about. Now, it's interesting when you think about Barabbas. There's a, there's a, I won't go into this. There's a textual variant in Matthew where it indicates that perhaps Barabbas' first name is Jesus. And we talked about this when we were in Mark chapter 15, if you remember. But what does Barabbas mean? Son of the father, Bar Abba, Barabbas. Jesus, son of the father. So who do you, so what? I think there's something bigger going on. Who do you want? Jesus, son of the father, this one, Barabbas, or Jesus, son of the father, this one, right? And now think about what they represent. What did Barabbas do? He tried to get power by force and murder. Who's a liar and murderer from the beginning? Satan, right? So he's, he represents the dominion of darkness, right? What does Jesus do? Our Jesus. He does not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but makes himself a servant and dies for others. <laughs> he has all the power in the world, relinquishes it, dies for others. Barabbas is hungry for power, right? Murders to get it, right? These two kingdoms couldn't be any more different. And they said, give us the murderer. Give us the dominion of darkness. This is, John Piper said, this is suicide. You're choosing suicide. And we choose suicide. Right? When, when we believe the lies of Satan who tries to seduce us away from the author of life and says, no, 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 let's try to get our own life. Let's try to establish our own name outside of God. Right? Yeah, we'll go to church on Sunday. Yeah, no problem. But no, let's try to get our own life. And it's suicide. Like it, it leads to death. And so you've got this crowd, right? They're religious where were they going just before this happened? To the temple. For what reason? The afternoon hour of prayer. So these are, these are dedicated religious people. Like Satan is fine with religion. A-OK -okay with religion, right? Yeah, sure, let's do that, right? But they didn't recognize the author of life. In fact, they killed the author of Life. And so, of course, they're not going to understand this healing, right? But, but here is, now, God, and we talked about this last week, he did not allow them to have the final word, did he? Right? No, he, he raised Jesus from the dead. And now listen, so listen, think about the grace of God. Now, through Jesus' representative, he heals a man. So they have another opportunity to reconsider Jesus 
again. After they've, they've killed him six weeks prior, here's Jesus again. Let me, de- let me demonstrate his power for you in this healing. So, so there's this indictment, but then, and this is our second point, there's this sort of implicit invitation to experience Jesus' healing power. Now, notice what the invitation isn't. The invitation isn't for us to look to Peter and John, right? right? Peter is trying to make this point very clear in verse 12 when he says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk, right? He, He isn't, like the attention isn't supposed to come back to Peter and John, their power, or even their godliness. This isn't about their godliness. God is just using them as his instruments to put Jesus' power on display. The, the, the power that actually Jesus told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for, right? The power from on high that's already showed up in Pentecost. Now it's showing up again, right? And he, he's putting Jesus' power on display as the one who has ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And so this is sort of like this tangible evidence that accompanies the proclamation of the message of Jesus' kingdom, right? Jesus is king. He is reigning from the right hand of God the Father. How do we know that? Well, let me demonstrate this to you through this healing. He, is, oh, he can make people whole. And so it's this evidence that they can see with their own eyes that, wow, Jesus really must be king. So he's, he's like, man, don't, Peter's saying, gosh, don't look at us. This is about this ascended Jesus. This is a demonstration of his power. Come to him for healing power. Right? And then he says this in verse 16. And his name, by, his, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. They, they know this lame man. They've seen him for years. They've walked past him hundreds of times. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health or wholeness in the presence of you all. This passage is not written that long after this event happened. When you think about the New Testament, you have to realize this is eyewitness testimony of things that recently happened. So so you can't just proclaim these kinds of things without somebody going like, if I were to, now if I were to say, hey, this happened a hundred years ago, you'd be like, well, I don't know, I'll have to check a textbook or, you know, that kind of a thing. But if I say to you, hey, remember five years ago when so-and-so was here, you'd go like, yeah, I remember that. Like, or if I were lying, you'd be like, I don't, I don't think that happened, right? And it's like, no, but they're recording things that had just previously happened, right? Here's, this is something that you, you, can, you, can, you can know. It happens, how does it happen? In the name of Jesus. When Peter talks about the name of Jesus, it's something that, that reoccurs in the book of Acts. Over, over 20 times, he references the name of Jesus, And what it seems to be a reference to 
is Jesus' healing and saving power, his authority as the one who has ascended to the right hand of the Father, that is now being demonstrated in this man who hasn't walked for 40 years and now he can walk. Now, with with the remainder of our time, I I just want to make four observations regarding Jesus' healing power. One is, is that it often comes through another, a representative, through his people. So Jesus is perfectly capable of healing people directly. He He doesn't need to go through Peter, right? He doesn't need Peter to heal this lame man. But, but God delights when we participate in his kingdom program. And, and so he, it often comes through a person, a representative. That, that's one observation. A second observation is that his healing power creates human wholeness. Right? This man is made new. He's made whole. He is healed both spiritually and Physically, and if you notice, he goes into the temple, and that's a big deal. Because this is what the Messiah does. He brings shalom. He makes things right. He takes chaos and brings it back into order. So that this man is now operating within his design. Right? He is now whole spiritually. He is now whole physically. And now he can enter into the presence of God. That's what the temple represented. He enters into the presence of God where he was prohibited before so that he might worship God with the people of God. So he's operating within his, in, in his design. And this is what Jesus' healing power comes to bring. It's that the second observation. The third observation is that Jesus' healing power is accessed through faith. Now, this is where I want to tread carefully because I don't, I don't want to communicate the idea that maybe, maybe some of you today, you have a physical ailment, and maybe you've been praying that you might be delivered of that physical ailment, but it hasn't happened. That's not necessarily because you have a lack of faith. Like, some people might say that, right? But that's not necessarily the case. At the same time, right, there seems to be this clear connection between faith and receiving Jesus' healing power. And there's even times when lack of faith results in not receiving Jesus' healing power. So, for example, like in Matthew chapter 13, right? He go, Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth. and Are they excited to see him? Not so much, right? Like, there, like you say, you're who now? Right? I, I changed your diapers, you know, son of God, what are you talking about? You know, and, and, he's, and so it says that he didn't heal many people there for their lack of faith. You know what's crazy is he did heal some. But he says a few sick people on the side he healed. I mean, Jesus is just healing everywhere, right? But, but sometimes, so there's this clear connection between faith and receiving Jesus' healing. But I think it's also important to note that when we're talking about faith here, we're not talking about like whipping up some kind of like psychological certainty that is sort of pointed in the direction of a certain outcome. That's how it's often talked about, but that, that's not what he's talking about. Right? This faith, the faith that we're talking about here, just like the healing, is a gift of God. What does it say? And the faith that is through Jesus. 
So both the healing and the faith is a gift. And it, the object of the faith is not a certain outcome. It's Jesus himself. It's the person. Right? That, that, that he, this, this ascended Jesus has the power to heal in his own time and in his own way. And, and, and like we talked about several weeks ago, God is, God is not obligated to heal us now. And God might have very good reasons for us spiritually not to heal us now. But if you belong to Jesus, you will be healed. Whether in this life or in the next, you will be healed. And I'm, I'm talking about completely. I'm talking about the physical too, right? Spiritually and physically, you will be healed if you belong to Jesus Christ. But it may not be, it may not be now. It's in his own time and in his own way. And so we need to be really careful about being presumptuous. And we also need to be careful about putting undue burden on people who are seeking healing and making it about the quality of their faith. Because that's not the point. The point is the object of their faith. Jesus, the healer. All right, so Jesus' healing power, it often comes through another. It creates human wholeness. It is accessed by faith. But it's also this call or, or, or this invitation to those who see things like this happen. Right? It says that he did this in the presence of you all. I love this healing because it's in, this, it's in front of this whole group who know the guy. Right? It's not the faith healer who lines up the wheelchairs up at the front and then able-bodied people come in and the people are like, hey, why don't you have a seat here? Sit right here. On the wheelchairs? Yeah. I mean, okay. You know, and the guy says, stand up. And they all stand up. It's, this is not a setup. Like, everybody knows. Like, even later in Acts chapter 4, right, the, 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 the chief priests are like, I don't, I mean, he's walking around. Where are we? Man, how can we stop this? He's walking around, you know. Um, and so he, but it's this invitation. It plants this thought in your mind, doesn't it? It's like, well. If Jesus could make him whole, maybe he could make me whole. And some of us have this testimony where it's like, man, we, we've walked with a family member or a friend, and this person was this way, now they're that way. And they say it's because of Jesus. I, I remember, when I first came to faith, <laughs> People thought I was joking. They're like, "You're don't make fun of Christians like that." That's what they told me. I was like, "I, I, no, I'm, I'm, you know, because I was kind of sarcastic." They're like, "No, no, this actually happened to me." And they're like, "Stop it, Andrew. This is you've taken it too far, you know." And it's like, "But no." And so, but this is the thing. It's like, so you see, when you see that, you're like, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe he can make me whole. This healing can be hard to understand if you don't have the right point of reference, right? But, it, but it's this invitation to receive Jesus' healing power that comes as a consequence of him now being this. He, he was always king, but now he has taken humanity upon himself. So now as the second Adam, he's king. And he's offering 
you wholeness. Now, it's true that none of us were there uh, when when they said, hey, give us the murderer, take the, the author of life. But maybe there's someone here today where you, maybe you're recognizing for the very first time that you've been going down the path of sin and death. And and you're rejecting the life that Jesus is freely offering you. And for the first time, you're recognizing it for the insanity that it is. And you need Jesus' healing power. And he's offering it to you. Now, most of us in the room are, are, are not lame. But we know, I know because you tell me, and I know from my own life, we know what it feels like to be broken because of sin, addiction, past hurts, childhood abuse, past trauma, unforgiveness, resentment. And we need... Jesus' healing power too. And so Peter began with an indictment, but I want to end with with an invitation. One of the things that we're going to do this morning is celebrate communion. And in a way, that that is an invitation. We, we, We aren't, God isn't obligated to have us join him at his table. Like we're not worthy to be at his table. But through Jesus, his death and his resurrection, we can come. And so that's part of what we celebrate when we take the Lord's table together. So if you have the elements with you. And if you, if you don't know Jesus yet, I, I would recommend not doing this yet. And just, just listen and, and, and think about what, is being, what you're being invited to. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he broke the bread and he gave it to all of them and he said, this is my body, broken for you, take and eat. Later that evening, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is where the healing power comes from. My blood shed on the cross. Take and drink. Now, I think Adam and Danae are going to be leading us in some songs, but I don't want the invitation to stop. And so I've asked the elders if Jay could maybe be over here on this side. I'm going to be over here. I know that Matt is coming down from teaching the kids, and he's going to be in the back. And and if you feel like you're broken and you need the healing power of Jesus and you just want somebody to pray over you with regard to that, maybe you've been following Jesus for years, and yet you're starting to recognize, you know what, there's... There's this thing in my life that just keeps clinging on and I need Jesus' healing power.
then, then come and just let us pray for you. If you don't even know what it means to follow Jesus at all, you can come and, and talk to one of us about what it means to follow Jesus. And so just as the songs are praying, and it's as you feel led, this is, of course, completely voluntary. You can come and see one of the elders. There's going to be one in the back, Matt, and then two in the front. Let's pray together. Father, you're good, and your plan is good. Your plan is perfect. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but became a servant, even to the point of death, even to the point of dying on a cross, so that you have now exalted him to your right hand, so that every knee would one day bow and confess him as Lord. And Father, today I pray that we would again, Submit to his lordship. Jesus, come and reign over us in your love. Send your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your spirit. Show us your power. Change us from the inside out. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.